0: You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. There's a danger in speaking. A word once uttered can never be taken back. In the children's book, The Phantom Tollbooth, a little boy named Milo learns this lesson quite humorously in the land of Dictionopolis when he's invited to dine with the king and has the chance to say a few words before dinner. Milo starts in on a fancy speech where he's talking to all the gathered guests and thanking them for, uh, for allowing him to come and allowing him to say a few words, but he's quickly interrupted by the other guests. He gets about one sentence into his speech and the king says, nope, that's enough, time for someone else to speak and everyone else starts saying things like roast turkey, mashed potatoes, vanilla ice cream. And then when the platters for the dinner come out, Milo finds out that in Dictionopolis, each person literally has to eat their own words for their meal. (laughs) He wishes he could take it back and choose something a little bit more tasty, but at that point, it's too late. The effect of our own word choices are not so immediately obvious, but they are far more important. Whenever we speak, we provide others with a measure by which we can and are evaluated. Do our actions then follow what we say? In other words, are we men and women and children of integrity? Integrity goes deeper than just keeping one's word, of course. A person with true integrity doesn't merely have congruence between speech and action, but between their values and their desires, between their internal self and that which is presented to the world. But it is in speech that we reveal that internal self and then open it up to scrutiny. It would perhaps be easiest to remain silent. Or we could follow the path of many politicians who master the art of saying many words without really saying anything at all so that they can never really be held accountable to what, what has come out of their mouth. But God in his interactions with human beings, has chosen a different route. He speaks truly, and he speaks plainly, revealing his thoughts and giving us his promises. And in doing so, he opens himself up to scrutiny. Our readings for today from the Old Testament look at this promise to David, that David will have someone that sits on on his throne forever, that his line will never end. And in doing so, it implicitly asks this question, did God act with integrity? Did God fulfill his promise? Did he do what he said he would do? And when we ask that question, we are also asking, can we really believe the word of God? Of course, I'm a pastor up here asking this question in the middle of a sermon, so you know what answer I'll give to this. Um, Yes, of course, it's God. You can trust him. Um, Congratulations, you got the right answer. (laughs) But the Bible acknowledges that this question is actually much harder to answer than just a simple yes. From the moment that Adam and Eve listened to the serpent, this has been one of the struggles of humanity to trust the word of God, to actually believe what he is saying. We have many voices in our lives that are telling us that God is not trustworthy. Sometimes those voices come, like they did for Adam and Eve, from the accuser. They come from one who, at, who comes to us and questions for us, what do you really know? Did, did God really say that? Does God really love you? Sometimes the questions just come from within ourselves, for we ourselves are sinful and fallen. We look out at the broken world and we think, could this really be the work of an all-powerful, all-good God acting with integrity? Or we look at ourselves and we wonder, I know God's promise of salvation, but has he really saved me from anything because I still see sin deep within myself? God's people have wrestled with these sorts of questions for a long, long time because sometimes God's promises makes promises that just don't seem to come true, at least not in the timescale that we're looking at. Sometimes he makes promises that seem downright impossible, that I should be made clean is one of them at times. I look at it and go, how can that be? And sometimes our experiences of the world try to tell us that God's word cannot be trusted. This is one of the the results of looking at this promise in 2 Samuel 7.16. It's near the end of our Old Testament reading where God told David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me. Your throne shall be established forever. But it only took until David's grandson before the throne that he was talking about was a kingdom that was split in two. And David's lines still ruled in Judah for several hundred years. And even though that's a long time by human standards, it hardly counts as forever. If there had been ancient fact-checking services, they probably would have rated Yahweh's promises to his people as mostly false. (laughs) But in spite of all this, throughout all the history of God's people, there have been people who clung to faith, people who believed the word of God in spite of perhaps what they were seeing around them. People who, even though they were the kingdom fell apart, they were sent into exile, were listening to the words of the prophets that we've been reading and listening to each Sunday in Advent and said, I'm going to trust and believe the word of the Lord. Mary stands as an example of someone in this line who clung to faith, who was looking and expecting God to act. This is at the center of the story of this annunciation of Gabriel's announcement of the coming birth of Christ, because once again, God speaks, and there's this question that is asked of Mary, do you believe? Do you have faith? Do you trust the word of God? And Mary hears that word spoken to her, and she does believe. So where does this belief come from? Where does it spring from? How can we trust the word of God when we and the world around us are broken and it feels like God's promises are delayed? We're just not coming true. One, I think, poor way to look at things is to say back in, say, the ancient world, maybe people were just naive. They were ignorant. They weren't paying attention to what was going on around them, and, and they're not Working and struggling, really having to struggle with this experience of faith in the face of of these um, of a world that seems to indicate that these promises aren't coming true. But we have the this whole book here is filled with people who are wrestling with how it is that we can reconcile God's word to what's going on around us. We see it in the prophets, in the readings that we've read throughout Advent. We see it in the Psalms. Our small group has been talking about psalms, and this last week we were looking at the psalms of anger, where anger is expressed, and oftentimes in those psalms there is this moment where the psalmist says, God, how can this be? How are my enemies rising up against me? How are the wicked prospering? If you want to truly show yourself to be who you say you are, if you really want to show yourself to be a God of justice, then do something about it. God's people were not naive. They knew the promises and they could see the discrepancy between what was going on. If you listen to our psalm from today, it actually recounts the promises to David. They probably sang the promises. They knew the promises forward and backwards and they understood them. It's not just ignorance or naivety that is allowing ancient people to hold and cling to this great faith. In Mary's case, I think another thing that we can have is, well, she was visited by an angel. I mean, if I was visited by an angel, wouldn't you believe what the angel, if this heavenly being came down before you and spoke? And yet her story sits there in Luke 1, right alongside that of Zechariah, who also was visited by an angel, who also had the proclamation of a birth, and yet his response is not to believe. And as a consequence, he has to remain silent. He doesn't believe the word of God, so his very words are taken from him, and he has to wait without speaking until the word of God comes true. But Mary believes and has faith. Not without any sort of emotional reaction. I mean, she responds initially with fear. And not just fear of this divine heavenly being. The text actually makes it clear that she's afraid of the words that he speaks as he greets her and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She doesn't understand She's a poor girl in a backwards town. She has no special significance. And to have God come and declare favor to her is so outside of her experience, not even understanding what this means, that it causes fear. And that's an appropriate response to the word of the Lord spoken to us at times, is to be afraid, because it means that something is going to change in us if we really listen and internalize that word of the Lord. She's not just overawed. Maybe she's just unreasonable. Uh, Kierkegaard has famously talked about faith as being something that can't be founded upon reason at all. That there's always this leap of faith where you, don't, you just have to kind of ignore what's going on around you and just sort of block it out and say, reasonably, this doesn't make sense. I can't get from point A to point B, so I'll just leap over to point C and just skip, skip point B altogether and just get here. And, and there's a sense in which perhaps we feel like that's what faith really requires, right? Is I just have to ignore my senses and ignore what's going on <clears throat> in the world around me. <clears throat> but that is not the case either. This actually becomes really clear when Mary responds with the, the song that later on she would have as she was talking to her cousin Elizabeth. As she was responding... In the, with the Magnificat. It says that he has, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. She is looking back and telling herself the story of what God has done, done among his people. Recognizing this story as the linchpin for her faith. It's not an ignorance. It's not an, an ignoring what's going on. It's actually looking closely at what is happening and what has happened among God's people. And fundamentally, what we are called to when we are called to faith is not some sort of of weird leap where we are not looking at what's happening. It It is trust. Because faith is based on this relationship with God, where we look at what he has done in the past, we see what he has done, we tell the stories of his faithfulness, And then we look at that and say, then this is one in whom I can trust. I may not understand everything, but not understanding everything is different than just turning off our sense of reason. I'm not an architect or a civil engineer. I couldn't design a strong bridge, and yet I trust the people who have built the bridges that I cross over, that they are in fact strong, that they will hold me, That as I walk from one point to another, even if I could not do it, even if I don't understand all of the physics behind it for myself, I say this will hold me and I step out upon it. Because I trust the people who designed it. And Mary's response is to look back at the histories, the stories that God's people have told, to remember God's story of the Exodus, the story that Israel founded upon their faith, to remember his meeting with them at Sinai, his encounter with them, to remember the wanderings through the desert and that they came through it and they were given the promised land, to remember over and over again that God's promises have come true. And because of that, we can look at who he is. We can look at the promises of God and the way that he has fulfilled them time and time again, and we can respond and say he is worthy of trust. more than the other voices that we listen to. There's a scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe um, that, where Lucy and Edmund have, have had accounting stories, um, competing stories of whether or not there's a, a secret land hidden in the wardrobe. And the children come up to the professor and they're, they're saying, we have this problem. Our sister is telling us that there is this magical land in a wardrobe. And that's just not possible. It can't be. And um, our brother is, is, she says that our brother has been there, but he is coming back and saying that he hasn't. He's saying that it's all made up. It's all make believe. And what are we going to do? And he asks, well, of the two of your, of your brother and sister, who is more trustworthy? Who is the one who, who generally tells the truth? And they say, well, that's just the thing. Lucy is the one who tells the truth, and he basically says to them, well, then you have three choices. Either Lucy's lying, which you know isn't true, she's crazy, which from everything else that you've told me, she doesn't seem to be crazy, or she's telling the truth, and the children are confused because they didn't expect an adult to tell them that there's the possibility of a world existing in, in the wardrobe, but he shakes his head at them and says, what do they teach kids these days anyway about logic? This is the kind of trust that we are supposed to have when we encounter God. This is the kind of trust that Mary has when she receives the word of God. It's not a trust, it's not a faith that is divorced from reality. It's a faith that is founded upon this character, the integrity of God. And when we have When we trust the integrity of God, when we actually truly believe that God does what he says, that his words and his actions line up, and we look at the examples throughout history, we look at the the stories that we have, the stories of faith, we look at our own personal testimony, and we remember those times where God has been faithful, where we have seen those encounters, and we hear those stories within our community, then we know that God is trustworthy, and we can listen to his word. And that is what our faith is founded upon. And when we do that, we see mighty things from God. We see him act because our eyes are open to it. We're looking around and we notice what God is doing. But this is difficult. It's hard. And it's a place where we have to examine ourselves for integrity too. Because it's very easy as we gather in the church to proclaim and say that we know this is, to, is true. And it's also easy to walk away from a Sunday morning and when we are facing all of the struggles of life, we're facing the difficulties of kids at home again because school has been put online, we're facing the difficulties of what to do about restrictions and social distancing, and we're facing the difficulties of just the fact that I struggle with sin, we're facing all of these different challenges that we come across, and it's easy to act as if God is not faithful, as if he has abandoned us. It's easy to act in a way where our own actions belie our expression of faith and they point to the fact that our our belief is not as deep as we claim it is. But this is the invitation that we have here when we look upon this moment of Mary's response in faith is we have the invitation to respond in in the same way and respond in gracious trust because we know and believe that God is trustworthy. And that we work to conform our internal beliefs, our feelings about this to what we know to be true. So that we too can have integrity, where our speech and our action match up and they connect with one another. So that we can sing with Mary and say, He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And of course, the beauty of this is that Mary responded to the proclamation in faith. And then she sees God act again in a way that gives all of us forever another moment to step in and say, yes, God keeps his promises. There is one who is coming to the throne of David who will be there forever, and his name is Jesus. And because of Jesus, we know that God has not abandoned us. We know that God keeps his promises. We know that his word is fulfilled, and we see Jesus on the throne, we see Him as the Savior, we see God coming down, and we know that the love that He speaks is actually the very essence of His character. In fact, Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the one that we can look at and see the integrity of God visible to us, made plain to us, because our sight is difficult to see. God gave us Jesus, where we can look at the Word, not just spoken, but lived in its entirety. And this is what we base our faith upon is we look at him and we see the one who was faithful. We see the one who loves us. We see God's word made flesh and come true. And then we respond in faith of our own. There's a song that I love by um, a musician named Jeremy Casella that uh, it's an Advent song or a Christmas song. It's, it's called Joyful Fire. And the end of the song is a basically a playoff of the Magnificat. Um, the last part of the song, it says, Go tell the hungry, go tell the poor, go tell the widowed, go tell the brokenhearted, go tell the homeless, go tell the thirsty, go tell the lonely, the Lord keeps his promises. And this is what we remember as we come here to Christmas. The Lord keeps his promises. And because of that, we can have hope. Because of that, we can find peace in the midst of a world that's at trouble. Because of that, we can grow in faith. We can have joy where we sing with Mary. We can have trust in the love of God because the Lord keeps his promises and they are visible to us in Jesus. So as we prepare for for Christmas on this last Sunday of Advent, as we approach this moment, remember when you think about Jesus, when you think about this day, The Lord keeps his promises, and when we have trust in his integrity, that is the foundation of faith, the source of joy and peace and hope within us. And we can look and trust in his unfailing love forever. Amen. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christarhopeanglican.org.